today we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 27. And let's open up our Bibles there. And as we're going there, just to kind of give you a little bit of a heads up of what we're going to be talking about, um, Jeremiah is going to be speaking to the, the leaders of multiple nations, actually, and also Judah. He's going to be speaking to the priests and the prophets. And he's going to be walking around. If you can visualize him, you guys know like what the yokes are, what they would put on the oxen, these big wooden yokes and um, something similar to this. And he's going to basically tell them, you have to submit to the yoke. You have to submit to the yoke that God is giving to you. Um, Moab, Ammon, Edom, um, Tyre, Sidon, all these uh, nations that are coming together. They're trying to team up in order to go against Babylon. He's saying, you guys got to team up and, and you guys have to understand that the yoke that I'm bringing, which is Babylon, you have to submit to that. And so he's going to be talking to the nations that, you know, God is the one who made the earth and he's the one who says who's in power. He's the one that brings up nations. He's the one that puts down nations. And what had happened was Judah had basically lived for, for centuries, really, in idolatry. Now, idolatry is it was when you put anything before God. And so they kept putting the other idols before God, themselves before God, money before God, sex before God, you name it, everything before God. And so finally, God said, enough. You guys don't want to change. I'm going to have to discipline you with the yoke of Babylon. And so all the nations, Judah, uh, there would be this yoke that God would use in order to change them, in order to change them. Now, when I think about that, I was like, Lord, that's a, a tough one, because even though I've been a Christian for a long time, you guys, do you believe me when I tell you that God is still working on me? that there are areas of my life that God is still trying to change. God is trying to break me of. God is trying to make me more like his son. And so when God tries to change you and God tries to make you more like Christ, can I ask you a question? Do you think that's an easy process? I mean, maybe in one sense it should be, huh? It should be. It should be like, okay, God said it in the Bible, then do it. What's wrong with you, knucklehead? You know, it should be so simple like that. But for us, the sin is so deeply embedded within us that we don't like the discipline. We don't like the yoke. We don't like the things that he uses in order to change us. And sometimes he'll use our wife. We're like, Lord, that's not fair. Sometimes he'll use an unfair uh, boss that we have at, at work. And we're like, man, they're so evil. And God is actually trying to use them as kind of like sandpaper people to smooth out the rough edges in our life. All I know is that God was working in Judah to discipline them, and God was working in these nations to punish them, and we have to let God be God. And so the yoke that we're talking about is, is that. And so I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but I know I can. And I, and I have to come to that place in my life where I just let God use the evil things, the sharp things, the hard things, the things that cause pain, the things that humiliate me, whatever it is, I have to let God use it to change me, to break me. That's what God's trying to do. But a lot of times people resist. And so look what it says here in, in Jeremiah 27. It says, In the beginning of the, of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. Now, Jehoiakim began reigning in 597 BC. 
And so he, he's, the, he's, he, he's here um, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. Now, the interesting thing, just right off the bat, I got to tell you guys this. This is probably a scribal error. More than likely, this is actually King Zedekiah. Okay, so you got to know that going into it right away. It's the last king uh, uh, of Judah. And so in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim or Zedekiah, the, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, thus says the Lord to me, make for yourselves bonds and yokes and put them on your neck and send them to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon, by the hand of the messengers who come to Jerusalem to, notice, Zedekiah, king of Judah, and command them to say to their masters, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus you shall say to your masters, I, listen to what God says. God says, I have made the earth the man and the beast that are on the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant and the beast of the field I have also given to him to serve him so all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the time of his land comes. And then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. And so there's no doubt that these nations are gathered together to join forces to oppose Babylon. Um, one commentator said the Babylonian Chronicle recorded that just over a year earlier, a rebellion had occurred in Babylon. Evidently, Nebuchadnezzar had to defend himself against an attempted coup. Certainly, such unrest within Babylon would cause the various vassal states to evaluate their chances of success for throwing off Babylon's yoke of uh, dominion. And so, basically, Babylon was over them. Then there was some turmoil in the nation of Babylon. And so it was kind of like getting like, I guess you could say not as solid there. And so there was like a attempted coup. And so kind of like an instability in Babylon. So at that point, Judah, which was a vassal state of Babylon, they stopped giving them the, the, the tribute, you know, because if you were under them, you would give them their tribute annually. They stopped it. They said, no, we're going to rebel against their authority. Edom comes, Moab comes, Ammon comes, Tyre comes, Sidon comes. They all come to Jerusalem. They're meeting because they think, hey, if we join forces, we can go against Babylon. We can win them. And God says to Jeremiah, he says, I want you to get a yoke. I want you to put it on yourself. I want you to go to all these world leaders, uh, to their ambassadors. I want you to go to them. I want you to tell them that God said, I made the earth. And I give the authority to whomever I choose. And right now, God wanted all these nations to know, I choose Babylon. They're the power now, and you need to yield to them. Because God would use Babylon, like I said earlier, to change Judah. Believe it or not, that's what it took. Seventy years of slavery in Babylon, that's exactly what it took for them to get rid 
of the idolatry. And so for us, you know, as in a practical point, it's a challenge sometimes. Like I, 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 you know, Lord, is it your discipline? Is it just because I live in a fallen world? Am I fighting against you as I'm resisting this whole thing? Uh, and, and you just have to listen to the Lord because he's really the only one that can show you these things. Uh, we actually have a couple of maps here, just in case you're curious where these nations are. So the map on the left is the one that has all the different colors. And look at how big Edom is and Moab is. They're you know, south of Judah, um, um, east of Judah. And then you have Ammon up there in the Phoenician states. You have Tyre and Sidon. And so the map right here on the right it shows Babylonia and it shows the route that they would take to conquer Judah. They wouldn't cross the Arabian Desert. And so these are the nations that come together and God says, Jeremiah, you've got to send a letter, you've got to send a message to them. God says, I'm the one who raises up and I'm the one who sets these world powers. Now it's interesting, in, in, in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar was the world power. He was the leader, but God even had to humble him and, and tell him, listen, I'm the one who puts you there. So for us, it's really fascinating. It's a lesson, really, in yielding to God as the creator of the earth, as the ruler of the earth. You know, one of the things about the whole June humility thing, and I'm hoping to get some of you guys involved, I'm hoping you'll give me like a little audio thought, you know, on what you think about this verse or that and stuff like that. To me, it's it's massive, it's epic, it's huge that I would understand that I am not God, that I am just a, a man, that I'm a, I'm a insignificant piece of dust. I am not the moral a lawgiver. And, and God is the one that, that is the lawgiver. So I have to humble myself before him. And I have to submit myself to the authority of God's word. But we're living in a world now that says, no, I don't care what God's word says. I'm going to be the one who says what's right and wrong. And so the, the, the whole concept part of it is just like, Lord, help us to know our place, that you're God, you're the one who made the earth, maker, maintainer, creator, redeemer, and I'm not. And then at the same time, if we're humbling ourselves as a church, maybe God will see that and God will move. Like Henry quoted from Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. And that's what we need. And so here, the, the whole thing is he's just trying to get them to yield. And so it says in verse 8, And it shall be that the nation and the kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon... That nation I will punish, says the Lord, with, with the sword, with the famine and the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore, do not listen to your prophets. Now, if I could, how many of you guys, I'm just curious, you don't have to answer, answer if you don't want to, but how many of you guys, you write in, you write in your Bibles? I'm just curious. Do any of you guys write in your Bible? Okay, some of you guys do. Now, I'm not telling you you have to, but you might want to underline or just kind of make a mental note of how many times in this chapter, I think it's three times, he says, do not listen, do not listen, do not listen, do not listen to these false prophets, liars, sorcerers, whoever it is, they're demonically influenced. 
And so you're going to see that over and over again. Look what he says right here. Do not listen to your prophets. Now, again, these are pagan nations. So he mentioned these other guys right here, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, or your sorcerers who speak to you saying, you shall not serve the king of Babylon for they prophesy a lie to you to remove you far from your land. And I will drive you out and you will perish. But the nations that bring their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let them remain in their own land, says the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell in it. And in one sense, you guys, we all have like a land. You know, we all have our our land where God has us, uh, the place of blessing. You know, the Bible talks about how in the millennial kingdom, everybody's going to have his own fig tree. You know, how many of you guys like figs? I'm just curious. It's kind of cool because uh, there's a wild side to the, our house and there's a, a tree that's, that's growing over the, uh, the fence and it's a fig tree and it's coming into our land. And I'm like, hey, Lord, are you trying to tell us something? It's kind of cool, you know? But the Lord says, hey, this is your land. This is where I want you to, to, to thrive and blossom and be blessed. And, and don't disobey God because then you're going to get booted out of the land. Now, if necessary, God will do it to discipline you, but the better approach is to yield to the Lord. Just yield to him. Yield to Babylon right now there in the land, uh, and, you know, God has them there. It's a lot better than you you're serving them in the land than it is somewhere else. And so right here, the Lord says, if you refuse me, if you refuse God, let me ask you a question. If you fight God, who's going to win? <laughs> God's going to win. Don't fight him. Yield to him because he has, he has beautiful plans for you. Again, here Jeremiah is addressing these foreign nations. He's telling them, don't listen to those dreamers. You know, they interpret your dreams and they say that's you know, your future or the sorcerers or they read your palms or astrology or things like that. Don't yield to them. God gives them this command. And so it's interesting, the methods of communication why do you think Jeremiah is now walking around with this, with this yoke? I think we have another picture of Jeremiah's message, how it gets even more visual with yokes. Why do you think he's walking around like that? And now, would you guys, if I wore that, like up here, would you guys think I'm weird? Or you guys would be cool with me, huh? Yep. You'd buy me an in and out double-double, you say, good job, you're trying really hard, that type of thing. I don't know. All I know is this, that sometimes people just don't listen to the simple, straightforward teaching of the Bible, and it's almost like you got to you know, do other things and get dramatic, and actually what, what this really is, is Jeremiah is just, he's desperate to give them the visual so that they would see it with their own eyes. God wants to communicate this very clearly. If you don't obey this is what's going to happen to you. And so he tells the nations that, getting dramatic, and then he tells not just the foreign nations, he hones in on Judah. Look at verse 12 of Jeremiah 27. I, I also spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. He's, now, he's talking to the king now. 
Why will you die, you and your people, by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Therefore, here it is again, do not listen to the words of the prophets who speak to you, saying, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. For I have not sent them. Now that's important right there. There are many people out there in Christendom, in wherever it is, they're not sent by God. That's huge. These are prophets who were not sent by God. God says, do not listen to them. You know, and, you know, I think of someone and at my heart, I don't know what's going on with Andy Stanley. I'm like, man, what happened to this guy? I mean, he's got, you know, he's pastoring one of the biggest churches in the United States of America. Imagine a church of 23,000 people, you know? But I, but I was, I was uh, unfortunately, I brought to my attention the sermon that he gave, and he basically said, it's not all the word of God. It's not all the word of God. And I'm like, dude, well, what happened to you? Next thing you know, he says, okay, you know, to, to be gay. And then the next thing you know, he's talking about all these other things that completely contradict scripture. And so I'm wondering what happened. And there, you know, it's kind of interesting, his whole story. You know, he comes from, uh, uh, his dad was a preacher, Charles Stanley. But I, I'm just going to say this, and I got to tell you guys this. This is how, how, how things can happen. You know, Charles Stanley was a pastor, a Baptist pastor, very famous, but he ended up getting a divorce from his wife. And there was no biblical ground. She divorced him, but why did she divorce him? Why did she divorce him? And she said, it's because he never paid any attention to me. And so here's a man, he's a pastor, never paying any attention to his wife. So she ends up divorcing him, but... You know, he just goes on preaching. No big deal. That's all right. And, and so that really upset their son, Andy. So Andy and Wino, you know, argument split. He goes and starts his own church. And a lot of people now are saying what's going on in Andy Stanley's heart is he is um, deconstructing his faith because of the example that he had. And he's almost like, kicking against that, you know, conservative Christian approach now that he has a mega church and he can do whatever he wants. That's what happens, you know? And so, you know, here's what I would say to you. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him because he wants to tear down your faith. Don't listen to that one over there who says that Jesus is not God. Don't listen to that one over there who says you have to go and knock on doors or ride bikes in order to be saved. That's what God is saying. And so for us, it's so important for us to know this, you guys, because we have to be careful what we hear. Some people, they just hear everything. Oh, I'm just going to hear everything. And, you know, if you know the Bible really well, and if you're rooted and grounded as a Christian, you might be able to survive a lot of that stuff. But for the rest, they're going to be swept away, even by the, the woke culture of today, especially young people. So what he's saying right here is, don't, do, do, not, do not listen to them, God says, because I have not sent them. That's huge. 
when it comes to spiritual things and you know us having doctrine and us understanding theology and, and that's why I was even thinking of the young adults and how important it is that they're in the word of God they're learning the word of God because it's at that time of your life where so many times you're establishing the, the values and the philosophies upon which you will build. You're laying down the foundation upon which you will build the rest of your life. This is why for so many young people who got swept away, sometimes in high school, sometimes in college, by their peers. And so what God is saying right here is, you know, that's not my word. Don't listen to them. Telling the nations, don't listen to them. Telling Zedekiah, why would you die? Why would you choose life? Why would you, as a leader, do this to your people? Why would you, as a husband, do this to your family? You're a leader. People are watching you. Some of you guys right here, you have friends, and you're influencing them. And so for us, prayerfully, we lead them to the right places. He shares with the nations, he shares with the king, and he shares, look at verse 16, with the priests and the people. Look at verse 16. Also, I spoke to the priests and to all this people, saying, thus says the Lord, do not listen to the words of your prophets who prophesy to you, saying, behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city be laid to waste? And, and the Lord is just saying to, to the, the nation there, you know, you have to yield to my will. I'm God. I'm God. And this is what's going on. And for me, he's always he's telling me, Manny, yield to me. I know those things that sometimes they hurt, but I'm using them to change you. I want to make you more like Jesus, you know? And so for us, it's just we have to yield. These prophets are here. They were saying, hey, the, the vessels of the Lord that were taken away, they're going to come back. Now, remember, you guys, and I hope for those of you who have been coming in the midweek service, you know three strikes and you're out. You guys know this. We talked about this, how Babylon came against Jerusalem in 605 B.C. They took away Daniel. They took away some of the vessels. And then they came back again in 597. They took away Ezekiel. They took away more of the vessels. But some of the bigger ones, like where the, all the water was, the, the, they called it the sea, the cart. Man, we're talking tons of gallons of water were there and some of the other things they hadn't taken yet. And so these false prophets were saying, hey, these, the small things, they're coming back. Those vessels are coming back from the temple. And they're lying. They're lying to them. Now, it makes you wonder, it makes you wonder, like, why are they, why are they talking this? And there's only two options. Either they knew they were lying or they were listening to demons that were lying to them. And I have a feeling that it was the latter. You know, they were saying, oh, God is going to give us grace, and we've got the temple, and we can't lose. And they were saying, God can't judge us. And, you know, in one sense, they're saying, God can't judge us personally or nationally or, or globally. I think people might be saying that today. And I hope and pray that the Lord shows us mercy. I hope and pray that, 
you know, judgment doesn't come, you know, in one sense, I'm praying people get saved before that. But I'm looking at the world today and I'm thinking June gloom and June doom and all this is happening. I'm like, Lord, um, you know, Billy Graham did say if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about stuff like that. So can God judge? Yeah. Will he judge one day? Yes. The Bible says that clearly. When will that happen? We don't know. But whatever you do, don't listen to the liars who say it'll never happen or whatever. You know, hey, no, we're good. I mean, hey, we're not good. They were saying these stolen these items that were stolen will be returned shortly. No, they're not. And, and Jeremiah probably gets a little sarcastic in verse 18. Let me ask you guys a question. Do any of you guys ever get sarcastic? I'm curious. I don't know if that's good or bad, but Jeremiah here, he does, I think, a couple of times in our study tonight. Verse 18, but, but if they're prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah, and at Jerusalem do not go to Babylon. Okay, so you say you're prophets. You say you're prophets. Okay, I'll tell you what, just pray. You pray right now that these vessels that are still here won't go. Just pray that. Because I'm telling you this, they're going to go. And that will expose the fact that you are not prophets. You are not sent by the Lord. And so it says right here, in verse 19, for, for thus says the Lord, of, now Jeremiah is giving the prophecy, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the bronze pillars, concerning the sea, like I said, that was the big uh, brass where they would have the water and the, the priests would bathe in, concerning the sea, concerning the carts, concerning uh, the remainder of the vessels that remain in this city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Yes, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and of Jerusalem, they shall be carried to Babylon, and there they shall be until the day that I visit them, says the Lord. Then I will bring them up and restore them to this place. And so they're, they're saying, well, the small vessels, those things, they're going to come back. And Jeremiah says, no, they're not. As a, not yet. As a matter of fact, these things are going to go. But it, it wouldn't be until right around 536, 535 BC. It wouldn't be 70 years in captivity until they come back. And so Jeremiah here says it's going to get worse. You know, when you look at this right here, it's really fascinating to me. The next chapter, it says in verse 1, and it happened in the same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month. And this is going to be important. It's not just random that he mentions this. So right now it's about 593 BC. Okay, so a fourth year of Zedekiah, fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet who was from Gibeon, and this was a priestly city, he spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and of all the people saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts. Now that's interesting. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts. Wait a minute. That's Jeremiah's line. Now Hananiah is saying that he's a prophet of the Lord 
of hosts. And the Lord of hosts is a Lord. That's the covenant name of Jehovah's armies. And so now he's claiming it. And so he's getting, you're going to see what happens to this guy. And he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, um, the God of Israel saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. And within two full years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And so this guy right here, again, I don't know where he gets his stuff from. Um, you know, maybe he had too many tacos, had these dreams at night, or maybe it was demons, or maybe it's just, you know, I don't know, positive thinking. But he's saying, no, God's going to break the yoke in two years. I'm going to bring back the vessels. I'm going to bring back Jeconiah. I'm going to bring back the people from, from Babylon. And, uh, and, and God says, I'm going to break their yoke. And man, we're going to see, um, man, he gets it wrong. This is about seven years before God would completely level Jerusalem. And so right here, he gets it wrong big time. As a matter of fact, God had predicted that Jeconiah would die in Babylon, which he did. And so this guy going against the word. And again, I want to encourage you guys. I thank God that you're here on a midweek service. And I thank God that you guys are come to church. My, my prayer is that you would always have the word of God as your authority. Remember we went through these classes, we went through the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture. Verbal plenary inspiration of scripture means every word from Genesis to Revelation in the original manuscripts is God-breathed, inspired by God. Because I'm telling you, especially young people, you're going to have to face this. You're going to have to face this. Because what these pastors are saying nowadays is not all the word of God, and they're just using that in order to bow down to what the culture wants them to say. That's how you can get a big church, by telling people what they want to hear. And so be careful right here. Here's another example of a false prophet. And so verse five, it says, then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, amen. This guy's all, hey, two years, the yoke's gonna be broken, everything's gonna be going back. Jeremiah's like, amen, like so be it. He was kind of like saying, maybe he's getting sarcastic again, you think? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> Cross your fingers. (laughs) He said, the Lord do so. The Lord perform your words, which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. I mean, it's almost like if someone were to say, and I've heard many of my pastors say it, and, you know, Pastor Chuck, Pastor Rawl, I mean, you name it, God's judgment is coming. And, And it's, you know, we hear that, And then someone says, no, I think God's going to tarry. And I'd be like, you know what? I hope so. I hope so. Maybe he's saying something like that. But I don't think any of us here, if you guys know your word, none of us here can say, guarantee, that the rapture is not going to happen tonight, which begins the tribulation period tomorrow. Right? You guys know that, right? 
Nothing is hindering that. So we don't know. I don't know. I do know that we deserve judgment because we have just not let, our, our nation has just not let God be God. And so right here, he, he, Jeremiah is like, amen, the Lord do so. I, I hope what you're saying is true. And, and so verse seven, he says, nevertheless, hear, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people, the prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. In one sense, Jeremiah is saying, I'm not the only one. There were others, Isaiah, Micah, there were others that prophesied the judgment to come. Verse 9, he says, As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Now, if I, if you, if I were Hananiah, I would have just left it there. Because all Jeremiah said is, listen, Hananiah, you're saying that you're from the Lord. And you're saying that, you know, the, the vessels are going to come back. Jeconiah is going to come back. The people are going to come back from Babylon in two years. That's what you're saying. I hope you're right. But Hananiah, just listen to me for a second. I'm not the only one who prophesied the judgment to come. There are other prophets who have prophesied the judgment to come. And let me just leave you with this. If what you're saying is true, if what you're saying is true, you're prophesying peace, then it'll come to pass, right? And I, to me, I think that's a kind of a nice way to, to end the conversation, to be honest. But look what happens. And Hananiah, the prophet, took the yoke off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. I mean, in, in one sense, there's no fear of God. I don't care who you are, Jeremiah. You say you're sent by God. I have absolutely no respect for you. I'm going to take that yoke off of you. And he, and he takes it off. And he's already he's claiming to speak in the name of the Lord. And he breaks that yoke in front of everybody. And, and you know what? There were others in Judah who knew, no, this is God's guy. You know, you, that's probably not a, a wise thing to do. But Hananiah has absolutely no fear of God, no respect for the prophet and so he goes, he takes that yoke off of him and he just breaks it. And it's interesting to me how it says there at the verse, verse 11, and the prophet Jeremiah went his way. It's like, imagine taking the yoke off of you. You knew that was the Lord. And, and if it were me, I probably would have just gotten right there and gotten all mad in a, in a big argument. And we just started wrestling and I would have pinned him or something. That's probably what would happen you know, for me. But Jeremiah just goes home. He just goes home. And, and maybe there are those times in our life where we, whoa, oh, I don't know what to do here. I better check with God. And so he just goes home. Like, Lord, what should I say? And it says in verse 12, now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah saying, go and tell Hananiah saying, thus says the Lord, you have broken the yokes of wood 
but you have made in their place yokes of iron. In other words, you spit in the face of God, and now it's going to get worse. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. I have given him the beasts of the field also. And so the Lord gives Jeremiah the, the word. He's going to now have, they're going to now have iron yokes. And, and it's, it's an amazing thing how this whole thing goes. Jeremiah then shares the word. And what we find basically over and over and over again, we hear those words from the lips of Jeremiah, that there were people, prophets, who were not sent by the Lord Notice we read in verse 15, then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. You know, all these guys out there that are fleecing the flock, all these guys out there that are not teaching the word, all these guys out there that are giving inspirational speeches, you know, Joel Osteen with his 40,000 people that come every single Sunday not to hear the word of God, not to hear the word repentance, not to hear the word sin, not to hear the word hell. All those people, he is leading them astray. Now, yes, they are responsible to make their own decisions, but he is more responsible as a leader. And what Jeremiah is saying right here about Hananiah, who thought he was all that because he's from the priestly town, is like, no, the Lord has not sent you. Therefore, verse 16, thus says the Lord, behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Now, if you go back to verse 1, this all started in the fifth month. So now it's the seventh month, and it's interesting to me because here's Hananiah saying, two years, two years, everything's going to come back. The vessels are going to come back. The Jeconiah, the king's going to come back. The people are going to come back. And Two years. And God says, two months. <laughs> two months. You're going to die. Now, God doesn't usually do this, okay? So um, I don't know if you're out there or somebody watching and they're like, oh, man. Um, he can. There are times Ananias and Sapphira died in, in the book of Acts. Um, you know, Korah, Korah's rebellion, he died. Um, Nadab and Abihu, when they offered profane fire. There are a few times where, yeah, God does do that. But, um, you know, typically, usually he doesn't. I will say this, that in my life, you know, I, I know God is gracious and I know he forgives and I thank God for his forgiveness because I've blown it a lot, you guys. But at the same time, I, and I don't know if people think maybe I'm like bipolar or whatever, they think I, it's an oxymoron. I believe 100% in God's grace. I really do. Today, my wife and I were blessed to open up our, we got, you know, blessed at this conference. I probably shouldn't tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyways. We opened up the curtains to our hotel room and there was the ocean. 
right in front of us. I know you're jealous, I'm sorry, but, (laughs) you know, it was just a gift that someone gave to us. And so it's just so beautiful. And looking at the ocean, every time I see the ocean, I always think of what Spurgeon said. He said, can you drink the ocean of God's grace? Anyone here can drink the ocean? I mean, that's a lot of water. That's a lot of grace. You guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, we embrace the grace. It has to be there 100%. Never let that get old. But at the same time, somehow, some way, there's this healthy, beautiful, wonderful, biblical tension of the, the, the holiness of God and, and the fear of God as well. And so... You know, I pray that as we're reading the Bible, that's why some people don't like the Old Testament because you can talk about stories like this, you know, but we need both. We need to yield to God's yoke by which he changes us. And I will say this, though, that when you read the New Testament, it's pretty cool. I want to actually close in Matthew 11. I want to go there real quick, if you guys would. And we're talking about the yoke. Right, And so they were supposed to submit to the yoke that God had given them. It was a yoke called Babylon. But isn't it beautiful here? And I know many of you are familiar with this passage in Matthew 11 in verse 28. Because maybe this is you tonight. You know, and, and look what he says in, in verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And just in case you're wondering, and I know most of you have heard this before, but I think we always need to be reminded that what we're doing as a church is we're pointing you to Jesus. We're pointing you to Jesus. And here we want to remind you of his great invitation where he says, come to me. Not just come to church or come to Calvary Chapel or come to the building or whatever it is. No, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And Jesus gives us a promise. I will give you rest. I know there are people here. I know there are people watching who don't have that rest. It's been tough Lately, it's been difficult lately. You don't have that rest, that assurance, that peace. And the only reason is because, in one sense, maybe there's been these obstacles between you and Jesus. And Jesus says, No, come to me. All you labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then he says, Right here, verse 29, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Now, here's the thing. There is still a yoke. Don't think that, well, there's nothing. I don't have to do anything. There's still a yoke. He carries it, and he'll help you through it. But there is still a part of that yoke that we need to bear. And so in those days, they would have the yokes. The animals would put together, and, and, and Jesus would be, if you could visualize it on one side, and you're on one side, but, but I like the graphic that Henry made right here, or he found. It's this yoke right here. It's kind of cool because they're put together. So this is what God has for you in life. And sometimes it's tough, and sometimes it's a little bit easier, and sometimes you know it's just painful. And, 
And, and in one sense, when you're yoked with him, well, this is the life that he's called you to do. I think of my brother Carlos, everything they've been through, this in one sense was the yoke. But the Lord here says, listen, I'll carry, I'll carry that if you let me. I'll carry you if you let me. The thing is, is us accepting that yoke, yielding to that yoke, coming to Jesus. He says right here, learning from Jesus, learn from me. He says, because I'm, 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 I'm meek, I'm lowly, I'm gentle. And he says, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that mean that life is easy? No, it doesn't mean that life is easy. What it means is that no matter what you go through, he will carry you through it, and it's easy for him. So just let him carry you through it. And so when I'm thinking about yielding to these yokes, and you've got the wooden yoke, and you've got the iron yoke, and you've got kind of like the Jesus yoke, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with the Jesus yoke, Lord. I pray we would, you guys. I, I know God has good plans and so you're like, well, how do I come to Jesus? Um, just, just close your eyes. I don't want to do anything weird, but I'm just saying it's so simple. The Bible says that it's it's like a it's in Romans chapter ten. He says like it's within reach. Is basically is what it says. Jesus is within reach. He's not too far. Jesus is is within reach. And I've kind of learned in my life that the unnecessary struggles that I have is always because I take my, my eyes off Jesus. So I pray we get our eyes back on Him. He wants to work in us. He wants to work through us. He wants to change me. I have to let Him. And I have to rejoice in that. I have to yield to His yoke.